Welcome to the Vital Dawn podcast for Wednesday, March 4th. S&P futures are rallying about 55 to 60 points. That's about 2%. Europe is rallying as well, up about 1% and climbing. Um, Asia generally finished in the green overnight, although there were a few pockets of red. So a few moving pieces. Um, I'm going to try to run through everything. Um, This may sound a little bit disjointed, but... Here it goes. So the big area of focus overnight, obviously, are the Super Tuesday results. Biden did uh, better than expected. So he has enjoyed a a pretty impressive um, momentum bounce coming out of South Carolina that continued last night. I would say the big surprises were his victories in um, Minnesota, Texas and Massachusetts. Um, He also did better than expected in Virginia and uh, North Carolina. So very strong showing for Biden overnight. The final delegate numbers are not available yet. They're still, um, you know, those, those will be sorted out over the coming hours and days. Um, you know, so Biden, I, say, I think, is, is clearly should be thought of as a front runner. And he's approaching, um, you know, quote unquote, presumptive and inevitable status as far as a nominee. But Sanders is very much still in this race. He obviously did well um, up until the um, up, up through Nevada. And he won California overnight, which is the most important state of the evening. Um, he also did well in Colorado, et cetera. So Sanders will come out of this. Um, you know, Sanders is still going to have a healthy amount of delegates. He has a very well-funded and well-run campaign. So I don't think he's going anywhere. The next two big days will be March 10th and then March 17th. Um, so we probably have some more clarity after those. Warren and Bloomberg both did very poorly. I'd imagine both of them will probably be exiting at some point soon. Um, you know, I think I think it's clear who Bloomberg will endorse and probably put his resources behind. Although, um, you know, Warren may be a little bit more of a question mark. Although, it seems like she would probably gravitate towards Sanders. Um, so that is that is kind of the the headline reason, quote unquote, for the re- the rebound. Markets obviously, um, you know, are happy to see Sanders the Bernie momentum continue to fade. Um, after South Carolina and then last night. Although I would say that, and I sent around a big update on this, and it's also in the Vital Dawn this morning, I think the odds of Trump losing are higher this morning than they were 24 hours ago. I think if you're in the Trump campaign, the combination of Biden as your candidate plus a precarious economy slash stock market is probably the worst case scenario that you can envision. Um, and so obviously it's still very early. There's still several, several months to go. And it's probably, you know, a mild positive that you're seeing the stock market um, get tested now and you're seeing, you know, the coronavirus hit now versus hitting in the summer or fall where it'd be much more impactful in the election. But um, like I said, I think the odds of Trump losing are higher today than they were yesterday, although he should still be thought of as a favorite. I think that, you know, it's still very reasonable to assume that he will have a second term. Um, so I have much, I have, you know, expanded thoughts on the election that I shot around earlier. Um, but that's kind of the big, headline reason narrative for the move. Although I will say again that, you know, this market is still very frazzled. It's still in a in a panic type of um, environment right now where, you know, I think we need to be careful not to look at the daily swings and then and then try to conflate that with underlying fundamentals. Um, you know, the market right now is moving much, much faster. It's much more volatile than the actual fundamental landscape is. So I don't really think, again, I, I know people need to have a specific reason each morning for each tick in the tape. But I have a hard time really tying this to um, anything other than just kind of emotional volatility in the market that we've been seeing now for the last several weeks. Uh, aside from U.S. politics, you still have a lot of digestion on the Fed from um, yesterday. 
you know, I've re- I wrote a lot about this. I sent around a few emails yesterday. I have more commentary today in the Vital Donuts. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it other than to say, again, policy is already very accommodative. Um, you know, monetary policy is not a tool that will be very effective against this particular crisis. I don't think the Fed did themselves any favors by acting yesterday, given that they have a meeting in two weeks, given that their communications over just a week ago suggest that they um, were content to kind of watch and see how this unfolded. And so I think they are compromising their credibility by appearing to respond simply to stock softness and White House pressure. Um, and so I think that contributed to some of the um, you know some of the decline that we saw yesterday after they moved. As far as other central banks are concerned, you know, while the Fed still has some capacity to ease, that is not the case with the ECB, which meets next week, or the BOJ. Um, and if anything, I think if you see those two central banks act in any way other than expanding their balance sheets, you know, if they were to bring their deposit rates deeper into negative territory, I think that's very counterproductive for markets right now. And so I, I don't necessarily think that's something that you know people should be really eager to see occur. Um, as far as the coronavirus is concerned, it's essentially kind of the same trend that we've been seeing now for a while, where you have more progress in China, you have an increased case count outside of China. You know, the coronavirus has been has been pushed off of a lot of the um, front pages today by U.S. politics, but you know, it's still very much obviously an issue. You're seeing, you know, you're seeing these kind of. Um, it's very mixed as far as the impact on the global economy. So you're seeing the Chinese supply chain continue to normalize, continue to come back online, but you're seeing, you know, an increased amount of cancellations, restrictions, et cetera, um, outside of the mainland. So you've seen, you know, a host of conferences, major events being canceled. The IMF World Bank said they're going to be holding virtual meetings in the spring coming up um, in Washington rather than have, you know, this, this, that had been usually a very large physical event. So now it's going to be virtual. Um, Google canceled a big event. There is continued talk about the Olympics, either being canceled or delayed. Japan is pushing back on that in public, although that's you know should be thought of as a very real possibility. Um, on the data front, there was nothing too dramatic out this morning, other than you know the China the numbers out of China for February are are awful. We saw that with the MBS PMIs last this weekend, and then you had auto sales that collapsed eighty percent in a month, and then you had the cash and services PMI this morning that was very soft. So obviously, I don't think this should be surprising to anyone. But the month of February um, was awful, given that you know a huge chunk of the country's economy was essentially shut down. I do think though. It is very encouraging. Um, you know, you've heard from a lot of companies over the last few days, a lot of conferences, a lot of conference appearances. You've had a lot of pre-announcements. Um, I shot around something yesterday about all of kind of what companies are saying, and I think on a net basis, you should be very encouraged about it. In that you're seeing a lot of companies are obviously going to have an impact on Q1. You're seeing a lot of them have cut guidance, um, but you're also hearing, I think, at the margin, the trends are very encouraging, just as far as how. Conditions are improving in global supply chains, especially in China, where a lot of the, a lot of the earnings impact is stemming from. Um, so I have a, I, I shot around a large summary, like I said yesterday, and I think on a net basis, um, there's a lot to be encouraged about rather than incrementally negative about. So you know the earnings number, the earnings kind of consensus on 2020 has been swinging as rapidly as the stock market is. So when the stocks were collapsing yesterday, people's mental estimate collapsed along with it. And now it's kind of risen or or stabilized a bit as the market is stabilized. You know, I still think $170 approximately is reasonable. You know, back yesterday, uh, back on Friday morning when we were at our lows, you know, some people were throwing on figures as low as 150. 
I think 170 is reasonable. And like I said, it sounds like the bulk of the fallout will be confined to Q1 and you're going to see conditions and trends normalized by Q2. There's probably a few dollars of risk to the downside to that 170, but that's still, I still think that's a reasonable number. And then you put 18 times in that and you get, you know, like I've been saying, I think 3,100 is still stealing for this market and 18 times and 170 are, are not conservative figures. I think they're both very generous. Um, and so I think, you know, as we get up to that level and as we bounce again this morning, and we're above, you know, thirty fifty on on the futures. I just think people need to keep that in mind that um, not to kind of allow the this the wild gyrations to change their views on fundamentals. Um, so that is everything as far as news is concerned for today and overnight on the calendar today. The services ISM at ten a.m. I think will be watched very closely. If you go back to the flash market services PMI for the U.S., it was it was shockingly bad. So I think people are going to be watching to see if that is confirmed by the non-manufacturing ISM today at 10 a.m. You have the ADP jobs report also this morning. Um, and then you have a couple more earnings, although nothing super, um, no, no one major on, on the uh, earnings calendar. The Fed beige book this afternoon at 2 p.m. will be interesting just to kind of get an anecdotal sense on how U.S. companies are faring amid the coronavirus fallout. Um, and you have more sell side conferences. You're going to hear from more companies today, just giving um, an update on calendar Q1. So that is everything that I have uh, for the this podcast. Um, you know, the, there's a lot more in the Vital Dawn, so make sure to check it out on the website. Uh, actually, and just finally on, on oil. So you have um, a variety of different meetings taking place this week. You have a lot of advisory councils to OPEC. You have the full OPEC. You have the OPEC Plus. So you have a lot of meetings occurring. And obviously, there are um, you know there's a big decision to make about whether or not you're going to deepen the existing cuts or whether or not you're going to extend them. You have a lot of numbers flashing around on the headlines heading into this week. Saudi Arabia had been pushing for an aggressive cut um, of a million plus barrels per day incremental beyond the existing cuts. Russia, however, had been reluctant to um, de- decrease production uh, at all. They've been pushing more just for an extension of the existing cuts. I think you're probably going to see Russia get on board with cuts. I would have to imagine it's probably 600,000, which is the low end of what the OPEC Advisory Council had recommended. I doubt you're going to see Russia get on board with a million plus, um, you know, unless Saudi Arabia decides to act unilaterally, in which case they'll probably, you know, that kind of blows up the whole OPEC-Russia alliance. But I think it's probably going to be closer to the lower end of that um, of that recommended range, so closer to 600,000. So that is everything for today. Thank you for listening.